0: everyone, to Episode 71 of the Rust Belt Rundown, a production by Workforce, LLC. I'm your host, Paul O'Connor. And on this episode, we are joined by Trudy Cheney, the Vice President of Global Human Resources at Exoloy. Trudy, welcome to the podcast. It's 830 on a Monday morning. I hope you have a
1: good <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me.
0: So uh, I love HR. My wife was in HR her entire career. Um, I am fascinated by it. My uh, mother has been a long believer that uh, the first person you hire is an HR person, no matter what you're doing, just hire them. Um, So I'm excited to talk to you. Um, So we yeah, like I said, we got a lot to talk about. Let's jump in. Um, Your career track has been heavily tied to industrial employers. Yes, it has. Before we talk about your actual HR experience, tell us about you know, your time in roles like sales, purchasing, and others, and and how do you think those experiences ultimately led you to become a better HR leader?
1: Okay. Well, I guess I'll start with the fact that I really never intended to get into HR. I really didn't have a career goal in mind. I started my um, life in a two-year business office education course in high school. And so I started my career really as a secretary and administrative assistant. So I really had the good fortune to work for employers who recognized my efforts and eventually ended up paying for my college education through uh, two or three employers, which was a really terrific opportunity. And I seem to be drawn to and selected for roles that were either greenfield positions that were you know just a brand new role that needed to be developed or they needed quite a bit of overhaul so they weren't functioning effectively and that's how I ended up in such a wide array of disciplines and really having to dig deep into these situations whether you know for the development of the function or to improve the function gave me the opportunity to look at various aspects of a business um, as a whole and how those different functions interacted and how they're connected. And I think that that background really gives me a different perspective than if I were an HR purist. Um, I always call myself accidental HR because mm-hmm. it's not something I selected. It's something that that selected me and I seem to to always end up back there no matter uh, how I divert into other areas. So I really feel that, um, you know, looking at an organization as a whole and having worked in those various functions, whether it's purchasing or sales or, you know, general administration gives me the ability to understand the connections between the different functions and then apply that perspective to my HR role and really just have a better understanding of what, you know, walking in other people's shoes and what they go through in a day and and not just purely looking at it from a, a strict human resources lens.
0: So does that affect how you look at, I mean, there's a million things that affect it, but does but does that framework <laughs> around... HR purist versus, you know, we're going to use your term, like the accidental HR of what you look yep. for in terms of who you're hiring for your team so that they have that similar mindset that you had?
1: Um, so for my HR team or for the, the broader I team?
0: Say, I would say for your HR team.
1: Mm-hmm. I really like to have uh, people that have a, a wide range of experience experiences because I think that it really does bring a point of view that some HR folks and I don't want I don't want to discount you know people that study HR and come into HR um, you know purposely to, to serve that function because I think that there are a lot of really excellent people that that come into human resources that way but I do think that having that kind of a, a wide-ranging background, helps with the understanding and it kind of shortens the learning curve because when you do come into an HR role, especially in the size companies that I've worked in, you have a generalist approach. So we're not, you know, we're not segmented where we have people doing compensation and people doing benefits and people doing talent acquisition, we're doing everything. So, you know, the, the understanding of how a business functions really does kind of set a foundation that um, shortens that learning curve when somebody comes into an organization. So I do think it's helpful and it is something that I look for, um, you know, among, you know, a variety of other qualifications for for working in a, in a specific culture and um, having an HR background.
0: Got it. That makes sense. Um, transitioning to, our next question, I'm excited about this question because I think it's uh, it could go a lot of different ways, um, and I'm sure there are tons of different things and challenges, but what are some of the challenges that, is, that are currently facing the HR profession and, and industry as a whole?
1: Well, one of the biggest challenges for me, and I just mentioned it uh, briefly in the previous question, is that I've always worked for smaller or mid-sized organizations, or you know, smaller divisions of really large companies. So the HR function has always been staffed with generalists. I've never been in a in a, in a huge organization, uh, quite frankly, by choice. Um, that you know ha- had all these individualized functions that were kind of siloed or, um, you know, broken off. It's always been a generalist role for me. And I, I like that personally, but one of the challenges is that we do have, you know, the daily activities, the transactional stuff that has to get done, payroll benefits, um, and the like. And so you really have to have, if you want to focus on culture building, which is one of my passions and, um, you know, strategy, you really have to get efficient and you have to make sure that you have processes and are, are taking advantage of automation and outside resources, partnerships with, with other organizations to kind of supplement the human resources department, because otherwise you're going to get bogged down in those transactions and really not be able to have the benefit to the organization that you're capable of. As not not just me personally, but um, HR as a function. So that has been always a challenge. Um, I think that probably every HR department you talk to will tell you that they're understaffed. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily true as much as it, is, as it is just finding the the processes and defining the processes that need to be defined in order to spend the time that needs to be spent on the critical things. Um, Obviously, you know, it's no secret that there's been a shift in the labor market. So the challenge that we have in with the scarcity of talent um, has been huge for, for most companies over the last few years. Although it has been predicted for a couple of decades. Um, the shortage, you know, with baby boomers retiring was mm-hmm. exacerbated by COVID. Uh, people in my age bracket have you know, decided that they don't need to wait until they're 65 or 67 or 70 um, to remove themselves from the, the daily grind, if you will, or the, um, the, you know, a traditional job. Instead, they're going to, you know, back into things that they prefer to be doing that don't necessarily bring them in, um, the level of income that they were bef- uh, getting before, but they certainly, want to have more pleasure in their lives because COVID just kind of woke us all up to, you know, how, how difficult or how short life can be. Um, And then it's also brought other challenges like, you know, younger people um, looking at a work-life balance, looking at different ways to go to work, not necessarily wanting to come to an on-site role. Um, which is kind of difficult when you're running a piece of equipment on a shop floor. You can't really take those things home with you. So, you know, finding, uh, you know, finding people that are interested in working in those types of roles has become more and more difficult along with, you know, uh, people of a certain age bracket were uh, encouraged and, and sometimes almost forced to go to college. And that was the only way that you were going to make a living. And that was the only way that you, you know, that you should be thinking about your career. And that is wholly untrue. You know, I'm definitely, you know, I'm a college graduate. I, I definitely see the benefit in, in that type of education. But there are other ways to make a living and make a good living and have a career. And, you know, we have this big um, vacuum where skilled labor just wasn't encouraged for so long that we're playing a lot of catch up now. And that's been a huge, uh, huge problem for um, for manufacturing, as well as a couple of other industries. So, uh, you know, the speed of uh, acquiring talent has just been really, really difficult in certain capacities. Technical uh, folks like engineers, as an example, um, we've had a couple of positions that we've been trying to fill for months and it's just a real challenge to find people, not just that have a technical background, but also fit the culture, you know, that, that are the type of uh, people that we want to have in our organization that are going to um, embrace our culture and, um, you know, have the same mindset and engagement that, that we're looking for. Um, the other challenge that, you know, may may not be discussed a lot is that HR the HR function has always been a little bit ambiguous within an organization. You know, they're kind of seen as the, the party planners and the payroll and benefits processors, but people don't really know what we do. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of work that gets done that you can't necessarily touch or feel or um, you know, and sometimes I, I, I have difficulty even measuring some of the things that we do because it's, Um, I don't want to say soft, because it isn't, it's very, uh, it's very tangible. But the the outcomes and the measurement of things that we're doing, like influencing how people uh, work with each other, it's difficult to describe that. And it's somewhat difficult to measure it in the short term. So the culture building aspect of, uh, you know, human resources, talent, talent acquisition and retention, things like that are sometimes not really understood by the rest of the organization. So kind of having, um, you know, a bit of a marketing campaign internally with uh, the HR team is something that I think would benefit a lot of HR functions in an organization, just to get people to understand how how you benefit the company.
0: I, I think two things on that, Trudy, is one, um, when an organization doesn't have HR, whoo, it's very it's very easy to point to what HR can do, and mm-hmm. two to to have somewhat of a sports reference. Um, you know, I feel like really really good referees are similar to a really really good HR department. You don't necessarily know they're there when you know all of a sudden ten minutes in a basketball or football game is going, and and the refs are doing a ton they're moving the, the, whether it's football or basketball, the ball goes out of bounds. they're doing a ton of things. Um, and if a technical is not called or a lot of fouls aren't being called, you really don't notice that they're there, but imagine removing the refs. Uh, okay, well that's not basketball. That's a pickup game. It's a completely different. Um, and so, yeah, I, you know, I work for a small nonprofit. Um, you know, we do not have a dedicated HR person. So trust me, I feel, I feel that. We all feel that. Um, on a daily basis. There was a lot of awesome things that you talked about. I want to go back to the recruitment process and how you mentioned that if you don't have good partners in this, um, Mm -hmm. it can get hard. So I'd I'd love to hear more about your experience with, with Rust Belt Recruiting and and what made you, uh, you know, partner with them.
1: Right. So I joined the, I joined Exaloy about a month after they divested from a much larger organization. So My initial mission, along with my very small HR team, was to separate from that company. And I'm talking everything from finding an HRIS to developing policies and processes and so on. So we were really in a crunch to keep a 90-year-old business running from an HR perspective while setting up like a startup organization. So, you know, trying to balance those two things was was a bit difficult. And uh, the prior company had put a hold on hiring. And so we had about 20 positions in the plant that needed to be filled in order to meet our customers' demands. And we, we had a, a really good backlog of business, and we needed to make sure that we were you know, hitting on time delivery and quality—quality uh, quality that's expected by our customers and that Exaloy is known for. So, we needed to fill those positions quickly, and with everything else that we had going on in the organization to try to set up this HR function, we really just needed to find a partner. And you know, I've worked with a lot of recruiting firms over the course of my career. And many of them are very, very good. And I still partner with today after, you know, or more years, more years than I care to admit. Um, but we really wanted a, uh, an extension of the HR department. We wanted to be, put our hands, our, ourselves in the hands of some, uh, some, an organization that didn't need babysat, didn't need followed up on, that really would be just like they were sitting in the office next to us. And so, uh, when we decided that we were going to outsource our recruiting process for uh, these 20 some positions that needed to be filled, we met with uh, Taylor and his team. And really, just the chemistry that we had with them you know, very down to earth, very matter of fact, not, you know, not a sales pitch, wanting to understand what our needs were. It was just a really good feeling from the beginning. And then as they were digging in with us and, and really talking about what services that they could provide, I think they discovered that we were a little bit more advanced than they expected us to be. So, you know, I have a very strong philosophy about candidate experience and about talent acquisition, and they listened to, what we were in the process of doing and what we expected to be doing. And they really kind of took a pause and said, okay, this isn't going to be our typical model or the model that we generally present. And they were able to kind of, um, you know, customize what, what what they were offering to us so that it met our needs. And I'm a pretty tough customer. Now, I've been, uh, been around for a long time and been in business for a long time. And I'm not shy about speaking my mind. And ultimately what's important to me is what's important to my business. And it needs to be a mutually beneficial relationship with a vendor, but a lot of vendors, a lot of service providers, it's, it's their pitch. It's their, you know, their box that they want to put you in and, um, you know, set that on a table in front of you and then that's it. And I didn't find the, the REST belt team to be that way. And we got, we got to the point where, and in very short order, where we actually gave Hannah our uh, access to our uh, ATS, uh, part of our HRIS. And I'm speaking in acronyms, I always hate that. So the applicant tracking system, which is part of our uh, human resources information system, and trusted her completely to to have access to that. And it helped her manage the activity uh, for us. And so um, that was a really stark contrast between Rust Belt and some other recruiting partners where you know there's constant follow-up and making sure that uh, the I's are being dotted and T's are being crossed. And we just really felt like Hannah was you know, in our building sitting in the office next to us just as another member of our team. So they were able to get get positions filled. And we're not, you know, we're not um, uh, 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 a low-skill type of an organization. We're precision machining. So we do have to have a certain skill level. But what is also important to us, and just as important is how people fit into our culture. We really want to make sure that they... Our team players, that they are open and honest in their trans- and transparent in their communication, that they work safely, um, that they're always in, interested in continuous improvement. There are a number of elements to our culture that we hold very dear and we want people to, to embrace those things. So she got to know us and Taylor got to know us so that they were able to pre- present us with candidates that um, were... The right candidates for us so it's been a really successful relationship we were able to get those positions filled way faster than we would have been able to on our own because we don't have a dedicated um, talent acquisition person um, on our team we like I said several times we are generalists and we had a lot going on in those those initial months. so uh, their their ability to kind of pivot with us as we changed our processes, um, to work directly with our hiring managers when they needed to do that. All of that just uh, ended up making for a really terrific relationship with them.
0: Love it. That's great to hear. Um, what are you seeing, particularly with the younger generations? I mean, you mentioned, we've been talking about culture. You also mentioned, you know, you guys fundamentally are a little different. You you know, you have to be in the office uh, the vast majority mm-hmm. of the time, if not five days a week. Um how are you, it, you know, it's, it's difficult when you have three to four, different well, not four probably, but three different generations in the workplace. They mm-hmm. all want different things. They expect different things. They're used to different things. How do you guys kind of mesh that culture so that everyone is, is rowing the boat in the same direction?
1: Well, you know, folks that are running, you know, our machine is people on the plant floor obviously can't work from home. But where we can be flexible is with people that are working in other functions. And we, you know, this might not be a popular answer, but we still believe that in person interaction is, is critical. It's really a lot easier to develop good relationships with people when, when they're sitting across from you and you're, you're able to get involved in ad hoc conversations and hear what's going on in the office environment. I think that people that are working strictly remotely, uh, while there is obviously still the ability to connect with them on a regular basis, it's that stuff that pops up that they they miss out on and, and it's difficult to involve them in. So we do have flexibility. We do have some people that work remotely. We have people all over the country and really all over the world. So we do have some folks that are working out of home offices, and then we do have some flexibility with most of our um, most of our positions, where they have some ability to work from home a couple of days a week, so not everybody takes advantage of it. To be honest with you, uh, but circ- circling back to you know the younger generation, I think it's really difficult to put people uh, you know to kind of categorize people. I, I have a lot of younger people working in our organization that you know if you if you uh, Kind of put a mask on them and and couldn't tell if that they were younger. You would never know it. So, I I think it's um, not really right to kind of categorize people. But what I find from people in general, and probably more so with younger folks, is that they're looking for more balance. They're looking for, you know, people my age. I'm a baby boomer. I'm at the end of the baby boomer uh, generation, and yeah, we were raised a, a certain way, and we are. You know, I was raised by the silent generation, so you know, you were expected to do what you were expected to do, and you did it, and you didn't ask any questions. Um, of course, I've grown and matured and modified my my uh, personality over the years to to meet the situations, and I think that that happens with everybody. I think younger folks you know, some of us older folks can probably take a lesson from. They're looking for uh, the value that they can add to the organization. They're looking for what is the organization doing for the community? And then how how do I balance, um, you know, how do they balance what they're doing for work in order to earn a paycheck with what's going on in their lives or what they want to have going on in their lives? So I think that every organization has to, flex you have to you know you can't it, it, it's no longer all about what the company wants. It's about how do you balance what employees want and need with what the company wants and needs and we have to we have to figure out different ways to do that and do it in a fair and consistent way but that doesn't mean the same. Not every individual is going to be treated the same. Um, they need to be treated the way they need to be treated as an individual human being and their individual needs uh, need to be addressed and balanced with what the organization is able to do. So I think, you know, being open and flexible to different ways of going about doing business and not being stuck in the, you know, the traditional methods, the traditional um, you know, you gotta be at work eight to five or seven to three or whatever it is and you have to be on site. I I think that's a bit uh, closed-minded and I think that there are different ways to go about having a flexible arrangement that can satisfy all parties and we've been able to do that.
0: Yeah, I love it. I'm glad you guys are thinking about it that way because not all businesses are and you guys are at a strategic advantage already. So that's great. Um, shifting gears a little bit, I'd love to learn a little bit more um, around the benefits that you and your team have experienced by being a part of MBMC, um, and, and kind of what that looks like for you and your team.
1: Well, I think it's it's a really great opportunity from a lot of different or you know a lot of different perspectives. So I think that uh, absolutely benefits. The same as a lot of other organizations, if that are members, if they take advantage of what there is to offer. So, you know, one of the things that that I think is really important is is to be able to share common concerns and solutions with a wide array of manufacturing companies and partners, uh, community partnerships. So, you know, getting the assistance um, to you know, kind of tie all those organizations together. NVMC has innumerable uh, contacts and a, a, a web of, of network that is just unbelievable. So, you know, when you're sitting at your desk thinking, you know, how do I get a training program around this, or what am I going to do to, you know, uh, build a build bench strength for. The next three years uh, in the organization, because I have a lot of folks that have been with the company for thirty and forty years, and are you know at some point in the not too distant future going to be retiring. You know, how do I make sure I have people on deck? You know, being able to share those challenges and finding out that they're common they're not they're not specific to Exaloy or other organizations that I've worked in. They are really common challenges, and and talking about with the membership what the solutions have been uh, that they've applied and then how do we modify or scale them to, to fit our needs. Um, Being involved with the MBMC has also, it's also great because you, you get to learn and know about the grants and other funding opportunities that are being funneled down uh, to the community from the federal and state levels. So, you know, rather than waiting for an email to come or you know, some announce that, announcement that you might miss, uh, being part of that membership, you're on the front edge of what programs are being funded and how those programs are being uh, meted out in, within the community. And so being able to, to be aware of those uh, opportunities and how they might fit into our organization has been an incredible gift um, being part you know, from being part of uh, MVMC. Just knowing what's going on in workforce, and workforce development, and being you know, some of the first to know uh, because of our membership, uh, it, it's, a, it's a real advantage.
0: On a similar topic, can you tell us more about Ashton University's Women in Leadership program that you're joining Mm -hmm. as an advisory board member? I know it's just getting started, but can you tell us about, you know, why you wanted to join and and what you're excited about for the
1: program? Well, I was really excited to be approached by Ashlyn because uh, I think that, you know, traditionally, I have not really been in tune with the differences between being a, a woman leader and being a male leader. I've always, you know, because of probably my generation, I've always tried to set that aside and just kind of muddle through and push through and, you know, do what I had to do to uh, to be able to be um, part of the leadership of an organization. And I've been given a lot of really great opportunities from the companies that I've worked for. But having a program that's specifically tailored to women, I think is really critical. There are still a lot of challenges in being a female, especially a female in, in a traditionally male organization and you know or male industry like manufacturing. Um, I think that the program will address some of the nuances that um, uh, that should be you know kind of in front of mind for women that are coming in into leadership roles. Um, so, you know, being on an advisory board, and I've only attended one meeting, uh, so far in, in my, um, advisory board capacity and I'm signed up to actually start the program, um, in March. So I'm really excited about getting into it and seeing what I can learn from it from my own personal standpoint, but also how I can apply that to, uh you know, to the the women in my organization, we have a, a lot of really high potential women, uh, people that are early in their careers that uh, will like are starting into leadership roles or will likely be in leadership roles in the future, and helping them with a foundational program that could be common among um, the women in our organization. I think is a really great idea, uh, rather than kind of picking and choosing different courses in different classes, not that we won't customize uh, the training and development for these these people, but having uh, a solid foundation that's common to them, I think will help bring them together and help them, uh, you know, be able to, to speak the same language. Um, and it'll also help them focus on their careers in a more connected way. So, you know, being able to again, network with other people that are in various industries on this uh, advisory board and understanding, again, that they have very similar challenges and experiences that that can kind of be discussed and um, solutions that they've applied and how I can apply them to my business. And then also being able to influence the curriculum and how it's delivered from a practical application is really re- rewarding. It's uh, obvious that Ashland wants to do a really great job with this program. The format of their advisory board is, uh, you know, again, only attended one meeting, but I really loved it. You know, they kind of put a a topic or two in front of you and then have breakout sessions and you discuss those uh, those topics within small groups and then get back together and kind of present out to the to the larger group. And it's it, it was really interesting um, and rewarding experience for me, so I'm i really looking forward to digging into it deeper as the the um, year gets off to a good start here. That's awesome.
0: Well, Trudy, you've uh, you've survived the main part of the the podcast. <laughs> uh, we're gonna get to the rapid fire questions now. So. Uh, We have six of them, Um, you know, as fast as an answer pops in your head, uh, you can spit it right back out. But I'm excited for one and two just because of your background and experience, which will be good for our audience. Um, Okay, rapid fire questions. Question number one, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received?
1: Well, the best piece of advice I ever received came from my mother, but I think it also came in a different form from one of my... Prior bosses, and it, my mom always said, "You can't be a doormat unless you lie down." And I think that was her way of saying, "You know, take control of your own destiny, and 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 don't be a victim. You know, figure things out, and speak up for yourself, stand up for yourself." And uh, my uh, former manager put it in a different way, but I think it's kind of saying the same thing. Um, no one can say yes unless you ask the question. So. You know, I was in actually in a purchasing role, a purchasing manager at that time, and, and I was learning about negotiating. And that was a piece of advice that, that he gave me, is, is you have to be willing to, to ask the question before you're going to get anything out of a situation. So I think that uh, kind of ties into the advice my mom gave me, which was, you know, standing up for yourself, speaking your mind, making sure that you're being heard. Um, I think those things are really important.
0: Yeah. I love those. Your, your mother was uh, very wise.
1: She's an amazing woman.
0: Second question. What is the worst piece of advice you've ever received?
1: Wow. I don't, I don't think I really have an answer for that because even, even if I do give, get bad advice, I try to learn from it. It's kind of like the question, describe your worst boss, right? Mm -hmm. Well, your worst boss can also be someone that you can learn the best things from. So, um, I can't really put my finger on anything specific, but I just always try to learn from whatever the circumstances are. And, you know, if the advice isn't good advice and I end up taking it and it ends up turning out, not so, not so terrific, then I just try to learn from that situation.
0: Yeah. My, um, my father told me at a very young age, you are going to learn how to do things and what to do by learning how not to do them and what not to do uh, more yes. often than not.
1: <laughs> that's very true. And I think sometimes that's the almost the best way to learn, because when you go through yeah. adversity, it sticks. 100%. percent
0: um, Okay, next question. What is your best and or favorite book that you've ever read?
1: I have read so many millions of books in my life that I can't really put a a finger on my favorite. When I was in high school and when I was a kid, I I used to read two and three books at the same time. And I was one of those geeks that when I was in grade school, I actually read books and did book reports for extra credit during the summer. (laughs) I so I, I've read a lot of books, but I think one of the most useful books that I've read, both for business and for personal reasons, is Crucial Conversations. Mm-hmm. And the reason I like it is because it kind of provides, well, first of all, communication is everything to me. I think if you can't, if you can't have a conversation, especially the difficult conversations with people, you're never going to get over the hurdle. You're never going to be able to solve the problem. You know, it's just going to generate conflict that's that's not constructive. So being able to have difficult conversations with people is a skill. And this book really provides a foundation of, you know, being, uh, being able to address difficult circumstances without being abrasive, you know, building trust so that you can have a, a good conversation and have a common goal. Um, so that you can work towards, you know, what is the goal of the conversation? So I've found that really helpful. And there's a, a kind of a uh, a part of a book that goes along with that, and, and there are really many offshoots of this particular book called Crucial Accountability, and it's a, a different version of the book uh, that I think managers can find really helpful in being able to hold people accountable to what their roles uh, require from them without them feeling like they're getting beat up. So it's really just uh, a great way to approach a conversation, especially difficult ones. Awesome. Yeah, I got to put that on my list.
0: Um, Okay, next question. Who inspires you?
1: Who inspires me? I don't don't really have one specific individual. I think who inspires me are people that have overcome really significant challenges in their, in their life, whether it's a a major health issue or they've just had, you know, really horrible luck where things have been dumped on them and they've, they've dug out from whatever that situation is, or they've, they've dealt with the health issues or, you know, I don't want to say embraced, but they've Uh, manage them in a way where they're looking forward, they have a positive mindset, and and they, they are on a go forward mission, and not dwelling on what it is that's wrong in their lives. And that really inspires me. You know, we all have, we all have bad days. And I always try to make myself stop and think about the people that have it a lot worse than I do that have that, you know, just that uncanny ability to have a positive outlook and to look at what's right instead of what's wrong. And and those are the people that really inspire me.
0: Yeah. I love it. A little perspective always helps. For
1: sure. Um, sure. Okay.
0: Next question. Favorite restaurants in the Mahoning Valley or surrounding area? Free publicity.
1: Oh, my gosh. Uh, I love to eat, and I eat out entirely too much. But um, So I'm going to narrow it down to two. One is Yosteria. Hmm. It's, uh, it's actually a, a restaurant that's it, it's in an old house um, in Youngstown, uh, the downtown kind of university side of Youngstown. Um, and they have an Osteria-style approach. So it's small plates. And they are all Italian, uh, different regions of uh, Italian cooking. And they make their own wine. And it's just a really small restaurant. It's very intimate. The service is fabulous. The food is incomparable. And it's just amazing. And then there's another, uh, another restaurant that I absolutely love. I, I think it was uh, started in the 30s, if I'm not mistaken, called the Elton E-L-M-T-O-N and they are the absolute best pizza makers that I've ever encountered in my life. It's just amazing. The place is packed. Uh, when you go there on a weekend, it's difficult to, uh, to get in, but it's definitely worth the wait. And it's just an incredible, uh, family recipe that they use and they have other dishes as well, but their, their pizza is just, it can't be matched.
0: Okay. Last question. Um, what is one question during this interview or past interviews that you wish you were asked?
1: Um, I think you've done a really great job of asking some pretty probing questions. I think that one of the passions that I have is really around culture and culture building in an organization. So if I had to pick anything, I would say, ask me about the importance of culture and how you build a culture in a. And yeah. if you'd like, I'd, I'd go ahead and answer that. <laughs> that'll, be our,
0: that'll be our first question when you come on again. <laughs> that'll be our first one. Uh, all right. This was great. We, uh, we appreciate you coming on. Where, um, where can everybody find you, connect with you, um, all of our listeners?
1: So I'm on LinkedIn, as uh, most people are today. And uh, you can find me uh, by searching Trudy Cheedy or Exiloy and looking for people.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Trudy. We appreciate it. Best of luck with everything in 2024. And we'll talk with you again soon.
1: Thanks. I really appreciate the opportunity. It was a great conversation.
0: Thank you, Trudy. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Rust Belt Rundown. Make sure you check us out at rustbeltrecruiting.com. The Rust Belt Rundown is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and click on five stars if you enjoyed this episode. See you next time.